Well, I'd like to invite Patty to join me here. Patty's a very longtime friend of our parish, as I said before. If you don't know Patty, I think there's a line from her website, pattykingsley.com, that sums her up quite well. Patty sees herself as a creative servant who shares irrepressible joy through creative art making. She believes that art has the power to intuitively connect individuals to hope amidst hopeless circumstances. I love that. Patty is a local and vibrant Durham artist whose exhibit Divine Expression Global Connection we've enjoyed in our sanctuary these past couple weeks. You can probably be seated too now that I think about it. Patty's joining us this weekend as part of New Song's Art Fest. She's uh, led 10 participants yesterday in our youth session yesterday afternoon and will lead our adult session this afternoon. And this morning, she'll share a biblical reflection on God's heart for art and artists. Can I pray for you, Patty? Would you join me? So, Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this gift you've given us in art. You are the great creator. And so, Father, we marvel at your creation and this invitation you give us to create. Father, would you speak through Patty and draw our hearts deeper into this sacred mystery of what it means to be your creatures, what it is to participate in your creation, to see art and artists rightly through your eyes. So we invite you, come Holy Spirit, and fill Patty once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I'll give it to you. Thank you ever so much. I'm going to grab my clicker. Good thing I remembered. And for those of you who've ever heard me chat, you know I need a timer. Um, So I have one. If you hear a duck quacking at the end, it's when I'm supposed to stop. No, I'm teasing. I put a different one on. Okay, so this morning we are going to talk about art and artists and what the Bible has to say. We're going to move quickly. And again, if you're used to me, you know I move fast. I try to illustrate things as best I can, and they are available for you as a PDF, these, uh, these slides, in fact, if you, if you want to look at them. Okay, so we are talking about God's heart for art and for artists as it relates to Scripture. And I am trying to start the slides for you, but I'm going to keep talking even if I can't find them. Maybe you guys can override me. Oh, 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 Okay. I was looking for them out here. My apologies, everyone. Let me go backwards for you then. There we are. Okay, we're going to start at Genesis. We won't go all the way through to Revelation, but the reason this is important for me is that if we can get an overall taste, just to taste and see, that there is a place for art and artists throughout Scripture that's very close to God's heart. I hope to whet your appetite or tickle your palate so it will induce swallowing, which means you will have to go hunt down these Scriptures yourself, and again, you can have the references for a later time. So in the beginning, the first baseball game in... No, sorry. In the beginning, God created. What was the first thing He did? He created. Sorry, what was the first thing He did? He created. So as a creator, and I am happy to call myself that, not just a creative, I'm actually a creator. My passion and my pursuit is to mimic what God has done, to follow after, to use him, to be like him, to reflect him, which is what I believe Scripture gives us the authority to do. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What was his substrate? The substrate was the earth. Just like I have a canvas, he had the earth. Okay, so, and God said, let there be light. The scripture says the earth was without form and void, 
And again, I'm sorry, I apologize to you. Um, there was nothing on it. But the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, alive and present in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be. If you remember nothing else this morning, if you could remember, let there be. Let there be light. He names what he creates. His creative acts separated light from darkness. He called the darkness darkness, and the light was called light. God reveals his authority when he creates. He has the power to actually transform the culture and the environment we're in. If we reflect him, we have the power and authority, according to Christ, to transform culture as well by infusing culture with his voice and his word and his life. We are made in his image. In our physical image and resemblance, we resemble him. We are the similitude of him. And it is not just God singular, it is God plural. It was a they moment. They appeared in Scripture. This is where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit first show up together. There's only a couple times when you need all three of them together to do one act. And the act was creating you and creating the earth. So pretty powerful emphasis, law of first mention, first occurrence in Scripture, and it took the triple value of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to accomplish his intentions. If we zoom through to Exodus... We're going to look at how God uses creativity to honor, to create beauty, and to create sanctification. But first, let's touch on that first scripture we often trip over in Exodus, which happens to be the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are very clear, that it says that there shall, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above, on the earth below, or the waters beneath. Now, often people read this and they say, oh, that means there can be no art. There can be no art in a sanctuary. There can be no art. There can't be a sculpture here, clearly even of a cross, because that would be creating artwork. But the scripture doesn't say we can't create artwork or reflections with our hands. The scripture says that we're not to have it as an idol. Okay, so for some of you who are new to scriptural texts around the arts, I hope this frees you up a little bit. It's that we don't lift our hearts up to something. It's not that we don't create something. It's that we don't rear up our hearts. The scripture, when you look at it in the Berean Study Bible, it will talk about the fact that of a rearing up of our heart towards something. That's what it means to have idolatry. Now, that's in any image, not just physical ones. We can have idolatrous images or images that distract us or take attention away from glorifying God in our mind, in our hearts, in our experiences. Exodus 20 uh, continues the chronology matters in Scripture. And when we find out that we see that Exodus 20 is followed by Exodus 28, the focus is on not having created engravings, but then we have a call for the tent of meeting. The Scripture was shared this morning, so I'm not going to reread it for you, but I want you to just see in verse 2 that the intention of creativity as it was applied to sacred garments, and again, it took artists to make sacred things. It wasn't just priests, ministers, and people who went to school for this and are called and appointed and anointed for this. In fact, it was artists who were called, appointed, and anointed to work alongside and in the house of God or the tent of meeting in this case to create those sacred things for his purpose. And not only were they for honor and beauty, which is awesome what's awesome what often what gets assigned to artists, in fact, they were for sanctification. So there was a holy purpose and an attention attached to the creative things that were made. Okay, it's also tell all. The scripture in verse 3 says, tell all who are expert. I might need you guys to take over this if I keep not being able to move them. There we are. Tell all who are expert whom I have endowed. So God 
endows many people, not just one. His work is inclusive, tell all, right? Not just one. And see that it's purposeful. His work is purposeful, that they shall make Aaron's garments to sanctify him. Who made the garments to sanctify Aaron? Artists made the garments to sanctify Aaron. Okay, so there we go. So now, again, we read, you can read through these scriptural pieces in detail, but what I want you to see is that scripture is very clear. It's very commanding, and there was a commission given by God himself. Okay, the commission is, make it. It is to have, so it can be. It's skillfully woven. It's of one piece. It's made with, it takes to, engrave the names, then mount, fasten, make, attach. I mean, I'm tired already. I don't, I'm an artist, and I don't want this commission. Do you understand? Why would I want that commission? It's descriptive. It's prescriptive. There's little wiggle room. All right? So understand, when we get these commissions, they're not just freewheeling. There's a time in the house, and if you're a jazz musician, you know you get to play off the charts, so to speak. But there's also a time when God is very prescriptive and descriptive, and we need to be aware of what those things are. And also that, in fact, he wants to be able to speak to us in this way. Okay, so we now, oops, hold the phone. We, I, I, I did let you see for a pomegranate, it's just for a moment, but Exodus 20 is followed by Exodus 28, which is what we were just referencing. So in fact, we do have a God that even though he said, don't worship things that are made, I actually want you to make a bunch of stuff, and I'm going to commission it for you. Chronology matters. And now, let's see how we um, reconcile these things. We create it. We don't worship it. His commissions are purposeful. Naming matters. Details matter. Abstract image was carried into the Holy of Holies. So when I asked you, what color were the pomegranates? What color are pomegranates? They're red. What color did he ask for them to be? I believe it was scarlet and blue and purple. I'm sorry. Did I miss something? For all of those of us who would say art has to be realistic, it has to be, you know, representational, we cannot just reproduce something that God didn't actually create that way. Uh, hello, no, God himself actually requested abstract coloring, not just to be displayed in the community at large or in the church, but in fact in the Holy of Holies, in the tent of meeting, in the first modular structure that was not built by Ikea. For those of you who are ministers, you know how hard it is to do portable church, okay? So when we're applying these principles today, again, I reiterate, his commissions are purposeful. Naming matters. Details matter. Abstract image was carried into the Holy of Holies. Color was worn into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was not absent of color. We didn't strip everything down to white. Now, if you want to do a white worship room, go right ahead. Okay, but God did not request a white worship space or all natural, um, you know, no color at all. In fact, he created things with a lot of beads, a lot of woven stuff. It required gemologists. It required millinery skills. It required engineers and architects. For those of you who are putting up the tent outside on Friday for the artist to create under, you know how hard it was to put up a tent. And you probably had destructions too. So color is significant to God. 
It can be abstracted, and God calls artists and skills by name. So scripture we read earlier talked about Bezalel and Aholiab. Now understand, please, that Bezalel means in the shadow of God. Bezalel, El, means in the shadow of God. So Bezalel was created to work in the shadow of God. So where do we position ourselves if we want to work on his behalf? Well, Bezalel kind of gives a clue because it's his name. So if you want to create like Bezalel, I would just, you're not channeling anything, okay? We're only working with Holy Spirit here. But if you want to mimic the positioning of Bezalel in relationship to the creativity of God as it was expressed in the old and ancient scriptures in Old Testament, in the law, in the Hebrew Talmud, I believe it would be, then you would be positioning yourself under the shadow of God, right here. So if you ever are finding that you're out of position, I would just run back, hide for refuge back there, and you will find that God will be able to speak to you and give you inspiration. Understand also, please, that Bezalel, it's a first time in scripture, again, first time, first time, something is mentioned in scripture, Bezalel did not just have the Spirit of God on him for anointing. He had the Spirit of God in him. It's the first time in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is described as being inside of a person. And who is that person? An artist! Hey, so I'm work- it's working for me. I-, I have filled him with, filled him. That would be inside with the Spirit of God. And we touched on this a little bit. Artifacts are made by artifacts. I, I can't say the pro- word properly. Artificers, I'm not sure how we say that properly. I've never been able to say it properly. But they, they make things. They make cool stuff. These are journeymen. These are electricians. These are technicians. They are all skilled. They're artisanal people. And there is a craft and a skill. And the Spirit of God moves on people. Whether you're painting pictures or you're doing the art of surgery, I might say. God will work and move on us. We're shapers, we're writers, we're gemologists, as I mentioned, millinery people. All of these people, details are covered by creativity in Scripture, all from this one passage, right? So I believe, yeah, there's 12 different kinds of jewels that were carved and put in place. And for those of us, I was talking with a friend of mine on the way here this morning, and Trace was saying, yeah, I mean, people get really bent out of shape sometimes about how minerals are used today, and we need to know how minerals are used today. But hello, there were 12 different gems and jewels cut for the purpose of the tent of meeting, for the priest's robes. So there is something to be said for how God wants to use creation to draw us into relationship with him, and I just submit that to you for your consideration. Chronicles. We're just going to look very briefly at Chronicles because, and I'll give you the scripture here, it's 2 Chronicles 2, 5 to 7. I want you to see Solomon's heart here. He says to him, or the scripture says, I've sent you Hiram Abbey, so Moses had Bezalel, Solomon needed to build something, and he had Hiram Abbey. Now, he are, he's already on his way, the Message Bible says. He knows the construction business inside and out. Any of those here, you know the construction business inside and out, right? He, so you're positioned for the provision of God, just so you know, so he could tap you on the shoulder and use you for his purposes. He knows how to work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and wood, in purple, violet, linen, and crimson textiles. He's an expert engraver and competent to work out designs with you artists and architects, those whom my master David, your father, had in mind. So, I mean, here we are yet again, where Solomon's heart is saying, my only thing, I'm burning incense to him, is, is about all I'm good for. 
That's what Solomon says in the message translation. But he's good for more than that. And he needed more than just himself to be able to build the temple. All right, we're going to zoom over to Ezekiel next. And much of Ezekiel was done in silence, acted out by a prophet. Now this, oops, sorry, this may just rattle you a tiny bit. Um, but Ezekiel, in Scripture, unless the Scripture says, thus says the Lord, the Scripture also says that Ezekiel's tongue was stuck to the roof of his mouth. So if you read your Bible, unless it says, thus says the Lord, how was Ezekiel communicating? Let me go back just so you can see. I think I've touched, uh, no, I didn't give you the reference. Okay, so if I give you the reference, Ezekiel 3, 25 to 27, but thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee, and they shall bind thee with them, and thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue to cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb, and shalt not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus says the Lord God. Now, there's a lot of times when Ezekiel was communicating where it does not say, thus says the Lord God. So how did he communicate? Well, there's a lot of really interesting things, including dung, um, that Ezekiel used to communicate. So I would submit to you, just as Hosea 12.10 pointed out here on the slide, I have also spoken to you by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions for you, and I have appealed to you through parables acted out by the prophets. So, are all prophets actors? No. Are all actors prophets? No, I'm not trying to set up a theology that says that, hands down. What I'm saying to you is there are activations that the Lord uses to communicate to us. And he can use acting. He can use parables, similitudes, mime. He can work in silence. He can work in spoken word, acting, acting spoken word. He can use a combination of spoken word and acting at the same time, which again he did with Ezekiel. I just leave those for you to ponder. And if we zoom over to Acts, we will see that you've already heard the voice of Agabus in the scripture this morning. Before that particular passage was read, there was another passage in Acts 11.28, and I, and I bring this up just to introduce to you the fact that Agabus was not new to the church, okay? So he was known. He was a known character. There we are. There's a prophet in the New Testament that is named in Acts 11.28, and his voice was heeded by the disciples. He was credible. The reason he did so is because he had told them about a famine that was coming, and it, in fact, it had come true. So when you do say things... We need to know what we are saying, and it has to be accurate, and it has to be tested. But that set them up then for when um, Agabus came back to Paul and said, you know, I'm the one whose belt, who's, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet in the middle of that scripture there. And he said, this is going to happen to the one who will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This, it was going to happen to him. Now, did that confirm to Paul what was going to happen? Yes. Did that deter Paul from his mission? No. Was it maybe good to know ahead of time that he was on his last opportunity, you know, he was going to be bound? I don't know. But for some reason, God put it in Scripture. And God put it into the hands not just of a prophet who spoke words in the New Testament, 
very alive and well, but in fact had him animate something or activate something so everyone knew. Now, Paul already knew, I would submit to you. Paul already knew, I would think. But did everyone else know? And did, what did they see out of that? Okay, so we're now at about three minutes left here. So Paul, does, you know, this is really an illustrated sermon. Oh, sorry, we use those today. Illustrated sermons, imagine that. If we look at Numbers, 2 Kings, and John, and I'm going to try to whiz through this pretty fast. This is very important, we heard this scripture this morning as well. The bronze serpent is mentioned in Numbers 21, verses 6, 7, 8, 9. There's serpents that are released into the camp. They're fiery serpents. It's a result of actions that the Israelites were taking, and the serpents came, and they were biting people, and people were dying. And so God went to the people to pray for mercy, and, and I'm paraphrasing liberally. And so in the end, what happened was Moses set up a bronze serpent. That's what the Lord told him to do, set up a bronze serpent so if they look on it, they would live. If we raise our countenance from ourselves, and we will use an artifact to actually not rear up to worship the artifact, but in fact to rear ourselves up in recognition of who God is and who we are not, healing came. Now, so God uses art to heal. Now what happens? Oh, well, let's go forward a little bit further into numbers. And, and then we see that all of a sudden the people are worshiping that. They thought the healing was in the object. Now, I'm not going to argue whether or not a prayer cloth can be prayed for and go somewhere and bring healing with it to a person. What I am going to say, according to this scripture, is that when you start, start worshiping that idol or that object or that inanimate something, it is devoid of power when you render it as something that is an idol. Okay, the bronze serpent was not an idol. The bronze serpent was a tool used to raise people's gaze, to look to God, to recognize where their salvation and hope comes from, and to be healed. When we turn it into something that we worship and bow down to, expecting the same result, it is condemned. And in fact, the scripture indicates here that it's called nahushtan, which means a piece of brass. And it was, it, they absolutely shattered it. So in the Old Testament, we're saying, okay, this piece of brass existed, it brought healing. They worshiped the piece of brass, it got demolished. It was shattered to smithereens. So, is, does the story end there? No. The most powerful tool to recognize the purpose and use of art, when used appropriately in worship and a reflection of humanity as God created the earth and he created us to be creators and to be creative, to bring his glory to earth, what happens? Jesus himself says, as the bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and people looked to that and raised their hearts to God to be healed so the son of man will be lifted up it is the most powerful understanding of the use of redeeming the arts for its divine purpose and I'll tell you in all those 66 books of the bible the fact that Jesus made a point of speaking that is freedom freedom so we can redeem something or we can condemn it. We can kick the darkness or we can turn the light on. Which is it we want to do? Do we want to abolish things that don't meet with the measure of stuff, life, and as we know it to be or should be? I would say not. Let's seek that it be redeemed. So for us today, I just want to finish with this scripture. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you've been bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If we are bought with a price, it's not just my spirit that worships. He's animated my hands. If these are devoted to the Lord, then what I type on my keystrokes on the computer, it matters. How I greet someone, whether I push or shove or embrace, this is my physical body, a living sacrifice rendered to him for his glory because I want to live like Bezalel did. I want to live in the shadow of God and understand even, and I want to live under authority as an artist. Artists, sometimes we like to kick. We don't like, well, I'm an artist. I'm the artist. Yeah, that in a bag of chips isn't going to get you anywhere. You can be outstanding in your field or you can be outstanding in a field because no one can work with you. Okay, so understand that God gave all these divine inspirations to Moses, to Solomon, to others through the word and not any of those individuals. doesn't say who built the bronze serpent, as I recall. But Moses was not known as an artist. Solomon was not known as an artist. But they all needed artists. And when they asked for what they were going to do with these designs, imagine all of that happened under someone who was not artistically inclined for the best knowledge we have. And yet they worked together as a team. And Bezalel had a holy ab from the tribe of Dan. And Dan means father's house. He had a heart after the father. Okay, so let's, um, let's be artists. Let's be free to create. Let's be free to reflect God. Let's see that reflection. If we want the glory of God or the love of God or the peace of God, the life of God, how do we impact culture? We create more of it. Do we kick the darkness? Or do we turn the light on? Is there a place for art in the church? Yes, there sure is. Thanks very much, everyone.